at all. Morning, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Digital Works Oral History Podcast. This series is called Fairs Please, an oral history of London's bus workers. London primary school children interviewed 26 of London's bus workers to document what life was like for conductors, drivers, engineers and inspectors on the buses. It was a way of life, as the social uh, part of the garage life was unbelievable. Well, I used to play darts for London Transport and I won a lot of the cups. And my mother played for them as well. So on some of the cups is my mum's name and then I won them the following year, so my name is under hers. This is episode three. It's explored some of the bus routes, garages, and the social life around them. It also takes a look at the role of women workers, the unions, and privatisation. I've driven the buses, the Route 28, 31s, 328s, 27s, 10s, 414s, um, 7th, 23s from Westbourne Park, and I did the 18th. The 11th is also called the Banana Road. The reason it's called the Banana Road, because 11s always came along in bunches. You'd wait 20 minutes for a bus, and then you'd have five of them. The Route 13, you were going through the heart of London, but a lovely route, always lots of people, always lots of things to see, lots of things going on, especially like Christmas time, you used to get the Christmas lights. People used to come onto the bus just to come and have a ride down Oxford Street and Regent Street to look at the lights. That was great fun, but yeah, I think the 13 was probably the best route. If it was on a 36 bus or any other bus route, that part outside the Oval, they would stop, line up behind each other and watch the cricket. My favourite bus route, well, the first one I drove were the 49s. I suppose I did enjoy those. It was a very zigzaggy route through to Shepherd's Bush. And we got up to a lot of mischief because there wasn't, there wasn't a GPS, there weren't control, control, there were inspectors on the road, but we could do a few little, do a few little things that we shouldn't have done, like taking shortcuts. And, um, on the way back when the bus was empty, we, with four, four of us coming back to the garage, we'd sort of leapfrog each other and not, not stop at stops. My favourite job was a duty called 12 on the 72s, and I mentioned before. And the 72s was a lovely route. It went from East Acton down through Shepherd's Bush to Roehampton, and then along the Kingston Bypass and finished up at Hampton Court. But the best thing about 12 on the 72s was, first of all, it didn't start too early. It started about 7 o'clock in the morning. And you did a nice, easy run down to Hampton Court. And you came back and you finished your first part of duty about 10 o'clock. So you'd only done three hours. And then you had a long break. It was what we would call either a spread over or a split shift. And you came back at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And again, worked the peak and the school's traffic down to Hampton Court again. Nice, easy run and back. And you finished at about seven o'clock in the evening. Now, because you've done this split shift, and know you've only worked for about four or five hours, in those days, London Transport paid you 12 hours for the whole day, all the way through. So at the end of the week, whereas you'd normally have 40 hours pay, 
for this particular duty and others like it, you'd have 60 hours pay, but for doing not very much work. When you go in, into a garage, I mean, in the garage that I was, uh, uh, there was probably 15 bus routes, and uh, you get what they call route learning, so you learn the route, and you go out with, um, on the bus and you learn the route. One of the things that always sticks in my mind is the fact that I went to um, learn the 108Bs. Anyway, on the Saturday I went out on the 108Bs and I took it up to Crystal Palace. I took it down to Greenwich, I brought it back to Crystal Palace and went for my break when I got back to Catford. When I went back out after eating my break, I went up to Crystal Palace and went back down to Greenwich. And on the way back from Greenwich, I was coming through Blackheath and this woman said to me, driver? And I went, yeah. She said, you do know you're going the wrong way, don't you? I said, pardon? She said, you're going the wrong way. I said, I've been this way three times before this morning. I said, nobody has said a word to me. And I was, I was completely, I was nowhere near the route. Yeah, my favourite bus route is Route 18 because it's a straight road. From one end up at Sudbury down to Euston, it's very straight, uncomplicated. Mostly, I had uh, I drove buses through the tunnel, Blackwall Tunnel, 108, 108. Uh, there was another one, 82. Uh, they ran to Rotherhithe Tunnel. They were difficult routes because of the tunnel, because there's narrow tunnel, big lorries, you know, tippers, and uh, there was not enough room, only a few inches in between the two. You have to be very, very accurate. Fleet Street, the papers, um, if you remember, we used to do the N89s, and when you were coming back uh, at the back of Fleet Street, down through Hoburn, a lot of newspaper workers, because in those days, the night, night buses were predominantly for workers. They weren't for the party scene that we see today. And that's why night buses never ran Saturday night into Sunday morning. They were all basically for the workers at the markets, Covent Garden. But when you came back on the N89s, the workers from Fleet Street had all the first edition papers, which they'd taken, obviously. And so you had your whole bus and like, all stuffed full of papers. And when you got back to the garage in the morning, about four o'clock, five o'clock, you'd put all these papers onto the output for the early crews to have the free paper. At the time I started work, London Transport ran not just the familiar buses you see in, in central London, the red buses, but it ran a network of green buses um, around London in places like Windsor, the new towns like Stevenage and Harlow. The decision was taken in 1970 that the country bus network should in fact be separated from London Transport. My favourite garage would have to be my first garage, which was Mart Lake, because at my garage, Every person calls you by your first name. It was a family. Everybody knew each other. If you was going to have a party, you must invite everyone. Well, it would have to be Finchley Bus Garage, which I started with in 1979, and then it was closed in 1994, I believe, if I remember rightly. 
that was a lovely, happy little garage, but they decided to close it down, smash it and turn it into a home base. Um, but the lovely thing about that was it was a bit like a family. Um, and after you'd been there a bit, you, you, you got to know most of the people that worked there fairly quickly because there was a canteen and that's where you met most of the other people. And Well over 100,000 people come into London Transport canteens every day. They come at all hours, for they take their meal breaks when they can. A good meal, well cooked and pleasantly served, helps a man to do his job efficiently. That's what the canteens are for. Please, one with action. Nice canteen, very cheap. You could get uh, steak, chips and baked beans and a cup of tea for 87 pence in 1978. And a proper cup and saucer. London Transport had their own canteens and they had food which was provided from the Croydon Food Production Centre. London Transport had their own tea bags made, they had their own sausages made, they had their own pies made. And you used to have a special, and the breakfast special from what I remember was about 17p in the decimalisation currency. Buzzing! It was all, honestly, it was always buzzing in Westbourne Park because, let me tell you, there was this thing in Westbourne Park where you have to sit at certain tables and you, you earn your seniority to sit at the front and the front were the Route 18 senior drivers. These were the drivers that came in from the Caribbean and Asia in the 60s or the 50s. So they were the seniors. So when you come in, like me, my little self, I come into Westbourne Park, I did not earn my right to sit on the top table. It's interesting, when I started uh, uh, at Leighton, there was, the, the garage was very, uh, there was a lot of, lot of racism amongst the white drivers. Whereas when I moved to Ashgrove, which was in Hackney, uh, I think those people, those, those sort of white people who hadn't moved out uh, were, were, were kind of colourblind, as it were. And so there was a much better mix of, uh, of people. Uh, people seemed to get on better. And uh, as a result of which, the trade union was a lot stronger, uh, which meant we had better conditions. We were the highest paid bus drivers in London. You didn't make many friends outside the bus industry, so all your friends, everything was inside the bus industry. It was a way of life. It's the social uh, part of the garage life was unbelievable. When I started work, London Transport had a large range of sports and social facilities. They had sports grounds around London for the staff. Um, they had clubs, photographic clubs. Um, even rifle shooting clubs, uh, and I always remember that one because it was under the platforms on the Metropolitan Line at Baker Street, uh, and we used to lie there and practice shooting at targets with the noise of the trains going over the top. Uh, there was a gun club, you know, shooting club. I joined that, we used to, um, once a week we used to you know, do the training on the thing. 
I used to do karate. So there was a karate club used to meet every Monday afternoon. Uh, and uh, we paid a nominal amount, but the money came from the sports association to pay the instructor. We had a proper Japanese black belt instructor. For ten and a half years I was a cricket, snooker, tennis and fishing secretary. So I had to arrange all these different events. Each garage had a games room, it's called a games room, which had uh, snooker tables in it and uh, people would play dominoes and sometimes cards. We weren't supposed to play cards, but... I'm a member of the Magic Circle, so nobody would ever play cards with me. I played with them sometimes and they couldn't see that I was cheating. But one area which I did participate in was the Central Road Services Flying Club, which was down at Cobham towards Chertsey. Yes, London Transport had its own flying club. Well, I used to play darts for London Transport and I won a lot of the cups. We used to play at Langley Park, Cheam, and my mother played for them as well. So on some of the cups is my mum's name and then I won them the following year so my name is under hers. And London Transport had their own camping section and we used to meet at weekends um, and go out for, a, for the whole weekend, you know, with your wives and families and we'd have different themes with vicars and tarts, I remember, and, 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 and um, barbecues and, and, and all that. I was in the garage football team when we used to play into knockouts with other garages. I used to support my football team. Uh, I would have played if they'd let me, but I wasn't allowed. May I have two on the twos, please? Two on the twos. Thank you. The right. It was the First World War where some women worked as clippies, conductors, but after the First World War they then had to go back to their home occupations because the men returning from the war wanted their jobs back. In the Second World War things had changed a bit. Um, obviously women worked as conductresses or clippies, but we also had women drivers in some instances as well. They, you know, they either had to go back or go as conductors, and it wasn't until the early 70s, about 74, when the first women drivers came on to London Transport. I knew the first woman to drive a bus. She was a friend of mine, a lady called Jill Viner. Um, she was very much a transport, like myself, a transport enthusiast also. So she got into the industry and she became a conductor. She very much wanted to drive buses, and that didn't happen until 1974, which is... I think quite shocking. She was telling me that um, a policeman came up to her and, and uh, when she was up at Highbury Barn went into the bus and he told her to get out the bus and uh, she says, why? Women don't drive buses. She says, well, I do. I remember the first woman driver that came into Leighton Garage and some of the older men were very kind of... Uh, snooty about it. Well, when I first started at Bexley Heath, which was nearly 22 years ago, there was only 
five or six ladies that work there out of 350 employees. Now we've still only got maybe 20 maximum in our garage, so it's all men. When I came onto the buses, it was, it was actually a closed shop, which meant that if you didn't join the union, you didn't have a job. The structure was that each garage had a branch of what was then called the Transport and General Workers Union, which is now Unite. I th don't think I worked a year on the buses without there being at least one strike. Very often the strikes were about local matters. Bullying management was a particular uh, a particular thing. But there were uh, issues of pay, uh, of hours. But in London we couldn't work too much overtime. The union won't allow it. it was, uh, in, in Glasgow we could work as much overtime as we wanted and uh, in London they won't allow this. And uh, that was the only thing that I didn't like. We formed um, a women's working party because there was problems retaining staff. So we organised staff from the industry, women inspectors, women instructors, women conductors, women drivers, to do recruitment. And uh, we get a, quite a good response to that. In terms of equality, uh, one of the things that we were proud of was the fact that the, that, that the London Transport pension fund was the first pension fund in the country that gave the same rights to, uh, uh, to gay couples as it gave to, uh, so same-sex couples had the same, exactly the same rights in the pension fund uh, 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 as heterosexual couples. They made a few, they made a few bad decisions. Um, they, they signed the 1968 agreement away, which basically um, paid one-man drivers quite a bit more than crew drivers and the union said it wasn't fair to the conductors so they signed that agreement away and then they made it so cheap to run one-man buses that, it, that all the uh, conductors lost their job. We've had a, a couple of one-day up to three-day strikes uh, in around about the 90s as well when, when the buses were being privatised for privatisation it was called London Transport and the buses in the underground were all controlled by one company whereas once privatisation came along then the underground went separate and all the bus, bus units went into lots of little companies so it was all broken down. Well, when they started privatising they closed garages so staff didn't know where they was going and the independent companies that took the bus routes over only might have an LT contract for three years. So at the end of three years, there's no guarantee that you had a job. In a, in a sentence, it was a good job that was ruined by privatisation. Uh, uh, the whole purpose of privatisation was to increase our hours, reduce our wages. But we lost a lot of money, respect, everything, when the buses went private. There were some aspects of it that, that I suppose ch they say changed things, it made it more efficient, but then it was not really that, it should have been better policed. The, the sort of malpractices that we 
indulged in in the 70s should have been better policed and stopped at an earlier stage. Then the London Transport broke up uh, and the breakup of London Transport meant uh, the sports facilities that we were used to we no longer had. Large estates of houses that were owned by the transport company for their own staff. Um, the, those estates have been sold into private use and uh, more and more staff, including myself, have had to move further and further out of London and therefore become uh, longer and longer distance commuters. With London Transport, everybody had the same rates of pay same conditions. But you look at the bus companies now, they've got different rates of pay, they've got different conditions. Uh, you can work in the same garage, you can work in the same route, and you can have two, three, maybe more different rates of pay. I wrote in a great big nice white card and stuck it on the front of a radiator of an RT and it said the end and that was in 1979 and within four years I had gone. I took voluntary redundancy in 1983 and it broke my heart. When I retired I was never out of the hospital. My husband reckoned I had a season, either season ticket for a room general because every time he came home I was in the hospital. And I would say a lot of that was down to pollution uh, in central London, living and working in central London uh, since 1974. I, I left in 1969 from the buses because, as I said, I met my wife there and we got married and decided that uh, we wanted to start a family and shift work really wasn't the thing. So I became a milkman after that. I can't believe how quickly 43 years have passed. Uh, and I'm now back to predominantly the hobby, where I can go out and I can think, I wonder where the 74 goes these days. And I don't need a Red Rover ticket anymore because I've got my retired staff pass and my trusty bus map, uh, and off I go again. Thank you for listening to the third and final episode of Fairs Please. The interviews were collected by children from Gateway Academy and Westminster Cathedral Primary Schools as part of a project supported by the London Transport Museum. Music by Vincent Burke. Archive audio courtesy of the London Transport Museum collection. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and Unite the Union. It was produced by Digital Works. To find out more about our oral history projects, films and podcasts, visit www.digital-works.co.uk where you can also view Fairs Please, the documentary film made as part of this project.